Hello again, Gator Nation, and welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Dustin Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at IAKOWDustin. And as always, I'm joined by an All Kinds of Weather founder and lead writer, Neil Schulman. And you can follow him at All Kinds Weather. And if you're not already, you can follow our podcast Twitter at IAKOW Forecast. So, Neil, this is the first time that we had the chance to talk since the uh, the epic performance against Tennessee, and of course, the big reason why it was epic from my standpoint is uh, my man Ontario Jones got to have the night of his life. Yeah, that was definitely. I mean, it's always great to win an SEC football game, but that was clearly the most important W of the night, seeing Ontario be so happy, get that signed ball from Danny Werfel. He met his guys, did one black and Zach Carter after the game. Of course, those of you, I'm, I'm sure most of you do know what I'm talking about already, but for those of you who may be listening to us for the first time, of course, I'm talking about the Gator Good Foundation, um, a nonprofit organization that every year collects generous donations from Gator Nation to bring an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. Um, our story this year revolves around Ontario Jones, an Army veteran who got injured while serving his country. He was later determined to have retinitis pigmentosa, which is an eye disease that will eventually take his eyesight. But before that eyesight went away completely, we made sure to get him to the swamp for the first time. So he will always remember watching his beloved Florida Gators in person before that eyesight goes out. Special thanks to each and every one of y'all who donated to make that happen. Special thanks to D1 Black, to Zach Carter, to Ethan White, to the, the Jacob Copeland, to Anthony Richardson, to the countless, and I mean more than I can remember, Gator players who made time to talk with him and sign autographs and take pictures. And I mean, those are just the ones that I saw. I, I was running around trying to, trying to get a lot of people, uh, trying to contact a lot of people in the aftermath of that game to set up more, you know, quick, quick, quick meetings and, and autograph signings for him. And I, I may have missed a couple, but I mean, those are the ones I got on camera, but I mean, everyone who came together to help make that happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And on that note, also thank you to Stingray Branding, the amazing folks who put together the website for Gator Good Foundation. The website has definitely played a role in getting some donations, the the SEO impact. I can tell you from running in all kinds of weather that the SEO impact that they put in definitely had a lot to do with some of the donations that came our way. So thank you guys for that too. If you need any help whatsoever with anything in the digital marketing, digital media, web design, logo design, branding, app development, anything in that realm whatsoever, go ahead and, and reach out to Stingray Branding. You will not be disappointed with the results. So that was probably a sneaky way of getting our, our ad spots in. But yeah, Ontario Jones, definitely the big win of the night. Um, last time, I'll, I've said it so many times, but it, it can't be said enough times. Thank you guys so much. You made you made a diehard Gator fans decade, as I said on the Tennessee post game pod. You made his decade, so thank you guys for that. Um, 
Dustin, we do have another game to get to in a moment. We beat Tennessee, which is great. Not game is no longer a rivalry. I am not looking for any additional feedback on that statement. Um, we're going to talk about the Gators game against Kentucky next because you know you're only as good as your last result in college football. It's a what have you done for me lately world where a loss can kind of doom you, uh, especially since Florida's already gotten one. But before we do get to that, there has been – Somewhat of a bombshell. I, th- I think you could call it a bombshell um, announcement, a, a release of an article in Gator Nation this week involving racial and physical and emotional abuse from women's basketball coach Cameron Neubauer. Um, I pretty much said all I'm going to say on the topic for now on Twitter. Um, I, I mean, Neubauer got fired. He deserved it. Scott Strickland released a statement that does anything but quell the doubts about his involvement in it, basically saying that he was aware of the allegations. He ordered Cam Neubauer to take corrective actions. Two two dates kind of stick out there. The one date uh, on June 1st, 2021, where he extended Cam Neubauer's contract six weeks later on July 16th, I guess, closer to seven weeks later, less than two months later, all of a sudden Neubauer resigns. And then of course there's the fact that while well, they're not playing or they're not practicing in that time. So there could have, there was nothing that Neubauer could have done new in that time span. At the very least, we know for a fact that Strickland knew enough to order Cam Neubauer to take corrective actions and it's possible that Strickland already knew everything that was eventually going to lead to this article getting published. Nothing additional happened. So he extended the guy's contract, and then less than two months later, all of a sudden, mysteriously, Cam Neubauer was not meeting the corrective action expectations, and he somehow decided to resign. So a, a lot there I, I do acknowledge that we don't know everything, but I will point out that, that there have been rumblings, both that came to me anonymously and that came to other people anonymously. There were rumblings across the internet about this guy doing things that he probably shouldn't have been doing. It all came to a head. He's gone. Uh, Scott Strickland definitely needs answers. And I mean, he better come up with a pretty good one for for that timeline. Otherwise it's getting very hard to defend keeping him as our AD, but I've been talking long enough, Dustin. Uh, what do you think about it? I'm not going to get too into this without all the facts. I'm not going to go ahead and, and call for the job of our AD, but I will say this, that something is up. And, and if you're, if you're extending a guy, you're, you're doing that based on performance and Obviously, the, the play on the, on the court isn't what would be worthy of extending the guy. Obviously, his, obviously we know about his conduct off the court isn't good. I, I have no idea why this guy got extended. It doesn't make any sense. So that's what's confusing to me. But without really understanding the whole situation, it's just upsetting. Um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to go as far as saying that uh, Strickland should be let go as athletic director, but I definitely think Dr. Fox should bring him in and have a, a very stern conversation with him and, and possibly 
some internal, I don't know, put sanctions on him. I'm not sure how a uh, – He needs to answer for not, yeah, only, something. not only the timeline, but his initial response, which basically admits that he's aware of everything. Now, he doesn't explicitly say, I know that he was throwing basketballs at the girls' heads or at one of their injured legs. He does not explicitly state that. He does explicitly say he was aware of multiple rounds of allegations. The wording that he puts in that, that statement says, at times, okay, so times, period, with an S, multiple, more than one. It's not like you just heard one rogue anomalous complaint. No, you've heard more than one, and you decided to put Cam Newbauer through some sort of corrective action, uh, like performance improvement plan, I guess, or whatever the equivalent in, in college athletics is to that. Um, on June 1st, 2021, which is several, you know, at least two months, I think two and a half months or so after their season ended, you thought he was doing well enough in those corrective actions on that performance improvement plan to extend the guy's contract like you came to the conclusion of, yeah, so I, I've heard all these allegations of abuse and we, we're aware of it and, and putting this guy through a, some sort of anger management class, I guess, or, or something of that nature. You know what this basketball program, which by the way has a losing record, needs more of this guy. So let's extend his contract and have him coach additional years at the University of Florida. No, that needs to be answered for. Forget um. – the for, forget the losing record. You're aware of this, all of this, or at least more than one piece of it, and you extend the guy's contract, and then six weeks later he decides to resign. No, you need to answer for that, Scott Strickland. And honestly, if your answer isn't a pretty damn good one, you probably got to go too. So I, I I will I will hold off on calling for his head officially. I I do acknowledge the fact that i may have jumped the gun on twitter initially i i do come forth and acknowledge that but i also hold firm in saying if this guy doesn't have some amazing explanation for all this he he's got to go too so i will wait and see but yeah this is not a good look by any means for strickland yeah it is frustrating neil and and we're we're ultimately discussing this because this is a circumstance that hits the entire athletic department at the University of Florida. And of course, we're primarily talking about football right now, and, and we'll get to that in just a second. But it is something that is significant. It's national news. It, it was on ESPN amongst other other news sources. So it's something that we should and and are talking about. Well, Neil, um obviously Florida had a good game against Tennessee. I wouldn't necessarily call it a great game. Of course, I, I didn't have the opportunity or, or I, didn't, I, I, I was busy, so I wasn't on the, the podcast for the Tennessee post game. But I'll just say this. Um, I was super impressed with Emory Jones. I've always been an Emory Jones fan, but I've been critical of him. And he definitely surprised the heck out of me with his play, especially in the second half against Tennessee. I mean, not only did he run for 144 yards, on 15 carries, but he also threw the ball incredibly well. I mean, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, which that zero is, is my favorite stat of the night. Um, 
and he was 21 of 27. I mean, the guy was pretty darn good. For a dual-threat quarterback, I think those stats are, are stats that any, any fan base would be happy with. Um, so the reason why I mention that, though, is we, we're yet again, I believe this is probably the fourth time we're, we've discussed this, we're, we we got to continue quarterback battle. So we have Anthony Richardson, who, according to Coach Mullen, is back to 100%. According to Mullen in the in, in the um, the Monday press conference, um, he's gonna have some role um, against Kentucky this coming Saturday, since AR is healthy, and alongside that and juxtaposed to that, we have an Emory Jones who is playing his best football of the year by far. What do we do? Do we play Emory a hundred percent of the time, or do we get? AR in at, at some point, do we bring AR in on his third series like uh, Florida did in the first two games? What do we do, Neil? You know what, man? I, I don't know. Like, that's that's the kicker. Usually Mullen is fairly predictable. Like, his loyalty will come in and it will sort of cloud his judgment and maybe he'll do some things he shouldn't do. But we've seen now we, – we've seen Mullen ride on both ends of the of the spectrum here. He has – played Anthony Richardson and Emory Jones and interchanged the two of them almost randomly, it seemed, in the first two weeks. And then we saw last week against Tennessee where, no, Anthony Richardson was not fully healthy. I completely understand not wanting to play him when he has a nagging hamstring injury. Even though he is doing backflips, that's not the kind of thing you want to F around with. Um, because that can easily turn into something 10 times worse than just a, a slight pull. But I think what's going to happen, and I say this with maybe 51% confidence, I think what's going to happen is it's going to be Emery's game unless things kind of get away from him, unless he throws a couple picks, fumbles the ball, misses a bunch of receivers, he's inaccurate, he's one-hopping them, he's throwing them in the stands. I think this time, unlike FAU and USF, it's going to take him doing something he shouldn't do for Anthony Richardson to get extended looks. Now, if he's healthy, if he's truly healthy, and AR-15 I'm talking about, if he's truly healthy, he's going to see the field. He will get playing time. But it might be in a package here or there, kind of in a way – similar to the way Emery was used when Kyle Trask was the starting QB the last couple of years. So I do believe we'll see both. I also believe that Emery will get the majority of the snaps and that it will not be a 50, 50 split or even 60, 40 uh, against Kentucky this week. Yeah, Bill, I'll keep it at this. I agree with you. Um, I think AR is going to get a package and I think he's going to play well. I think AR is going to be able to run the ball. And, of course, we're talking about Anthony Richardson. Um, I think he's going to get to throw the ball. Anthony Richardson has proven to me, even in, in a very, very small sample size, that he, he can really throw the ball. And it's not just, you know, throwing the ball to a spot and it's a simple read. He, he made some pretty, pretty good decisions, um, especially in that, in that uh, South Florida game, I mean, each of those three throws, I mean, two, two of them were just wide open. But, I mean, you, you look at the, uh, at the way he played the scramble rules on that third throw to Jacob Copeland. 
That was a gorgeous throw. I mean, that ball couldn't have been placed in, in, in a better spot. As we, as we move forward and as we discuss this Kentucky-Florida game, now keep in mind, this game is on the road. And Kentucky is, is not the Kentucky that the, you know, with all due respect, the older folk on the podcast. And I'm, of course, talking about, I'm including myself in on that because until 2018, I never saw the Florida Gators lose to Kentucky. And I mean, I, that, was a, that was one of the longest streaks in college football, if not the longest active streak in college football until Kentucky had that, had that victory in the swamp. Kentucky is not the same program. Kentucky is not a joke. We, we joke around about Tennessee. We can't joke around about Kentucky anymore. I do think that Mark Stoops has gotten them to be as good as they're ever going to be. I do think that eventually, someday, someday, he will leave Kentucky for greener pastures. Um, but the reason he's such a hot head coaching commodity is because he's taken a Kentucky team that Florida used to just wallop every single year and make them into something of a problem for the Gators. They haven't really been a true SEC East contender. We can't really say that, but they did have the one year of going 10 and three. They won the Citrus Bowl in 2018. That was kind of the peak of their, of their heyday, I guess, under Mark Stoops. Um, but they, they produce some good players. And when you have enough good players on that team, when you can recruit and develop enough talent on a program like that, it gets to be a program that you can't just write off. Like they used to be thought of in a vein similar to Vanderbilt. Florida's last few games against them, I mean, last year we'll throw out because that was an anomaly because I mean, a lot of guys opted out. It was 34-10 in the COVID year. But think about the last few games before that, 29-21, and, and we were losing 21-10 late in that game. We needed Trask to come off the bench and save us. 2018, of course, we lost for the first time since 1986. 2017, we needed Kentucky to not once but twice forget to cover a wide-open receiver for a touchdown to survive that. 2016 was a blowout, but – Let's keep going back. 2015, we barely survived that one. Scored a couple of touchdowns early in the game. Had to hold on for dear life to win that 14-9. to 2014, triple overtime in the swamp. It's not like this is even just a last year or last couple of years thing. This is a program that gets up to play Florida. I mean, we like to say that Georgia sees Florida as their Super Bowl, but those are two programs on equal footing. This is a program that objectively is not – what Florida's is from a talent, from a prestige, or even from a coaching standpoint, I would say. I would say Florida's assistance, Florida staff as a whole, is much better than Kentucky's staff as a whole. But Kentucky gets up to play this game. They circle this on their calendar. They are ready for it. They've heard about the streak enough times. Even though it's dead now, they know that this is a game that if they win, would do wonders for their program. So even though the talent favors Florida – this is a team full of guys that always gets ready for this game like no other on their schedule. And to boot, they're not exactly a Vanderbilt talent-wise. Yes, there is a talent disparity. We can go to the 247 composite rankings and compare them side by side, but it's not like the talent disparity is so big like Florida versus Vanderbilt that that doesn't matter. 
this, this is a program that's talented enough, well enough coached and hungry that when we go to Lexington, there's almost always a problem. So I would honestly, I would put Tennessee in that Vanderbilt category now and swap them out for Kentucky. This is no longer a free win, even though the last third of a century has said it kind of is. This is a real opponent now, guys. This is an actual problematic game for us every single year. So, And, and I hope the players take it that way because if they don't, well, it, our season could be over before it really even begins. I would have to think along those lines. You know me, I like to divide the SEC and, and the East and in the different tiers. And if you want to, if you want to make three tiers or even four tiers, I would have in that, that top tier, um, Florida and Georgia, um, just arbitrarily speaking. Now there's arguments for, for both sides on whether Florida or Georgia's it would, would necessarily need to be in a, in a higher tier. Some would say Georgia's in a tier by itself in the East. I would argue otherwise. Um, obviously Florida beat Georgia last year. Um, both teams are, have struggles in different areas of the game, but we'll get to that in a few weeks. Kentucky is in that, in that second tier. Um, I would put them with Missouri in that second tier. And then in that third tier, you would have Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina. So you're right. Kentucky is, is not a program that is necessarily fighting to win the East. I mean, we all know that barring some uh, some some crazy thing, you're you're not going to see Kentucky fight to win the East. 2018 happened; they still didn't win the East. Enough said. So it's, I, but I, I think I think Kentucky's definitely earned respect. They're definitely a team that you, you when you play against them, you've got to be ready for a fight. You got to be ready for a team that is going to hit hard, that is going to do all they can to wreak havoc on your side of the ball, and they're gonna they're gonna do what they do. Uh, we all know the reputation that that a, that a Stoops led team has. I mean, I don't want to get too into the nitty gritty, but they can be dirty at times too. I mean, we all remember. Cash oh, let's Daniels. not go there. We hashed that out. We buried that. Uh, okay. It was it was not it was not a clean move, uh, but we 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 buried that under the bridge. Okay. Trust well, me, I, I, for those of you who, are, who may be new listeners, and and Dustin can attest to this. Uh, I know he's referring to Cash Daniel here. I did not hold back like at all. I went nope. after him hard, and he deserved it. But then, like the interview was over, I I admitted like, all right, I respect the guy for coming on and and. And answering that, I asked him questions nonstop repeatedly for over an hour on that pod. And I know at some point you just got to let it lie. So we're, I'm, you know, I'm at peace with that. I don't agree with what he did, obviously, but look, I, we're going to leave that in the past. Look, Neil, I I understand what you're saying. And the mantra for this show, we say it a thousand times. We keep it respectful, but keep it real. And I'm not trying to put some, hex or whatever on on this particular game but you gotta admit le- the gators playing in lexington there's just something dangerous about it i mean looking at history tim tebow got his famous concussion 
in Lexington during his senior year, 2009. I mean, you fast forward to... Wow, you're really connecting some dots here. Yeah, you Completely fast forward to... Completely uncorrelated events. I know um, it's uncorrelated, but it still happened in Lexington, so there's some correlation. Then, of course, you have yeah. the, uh, the famous uh, Felipe Franks injury, which, of course, led to Kyle Trask in his debut on um, road test. And then we, of course, in that same game, we have Cash Daniel do his thing that we're not going to talk about. It's just, it's just hard to think about. I mean, I, I really hope that the Gators can, uh, can stay injury-free in this game. That's something to definitely think about. And, and you know me, I'm a praying man, so I'm definitely going to be praying for that. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, the, the, I get it. It, you know, happens once. It's just, you know, random happens twice. It's a coincidence happens three times. It's a pattern. So you're talking about the Tebow injury from Taylor Wyndham's hit the, yeah. the, 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 the Trask play with Cash Daniel and then the Felipe leg breaking. Um, no, it, it wasn't like any of those hits aside from Cash's were, were dirty. Two of the three were clean. We're just clean football plays. The third one, obviously, not so. But anyway, back back to Kentucky, Dustin. We got an actual football team to talk about here. We're talking about the yes. history of the series, talking about, you know, 33 of the last 34, talking about, well, the state of the program, they've got talent. Now, let, let's talk about the talent. Let's talk about that team as a whole as it pertains to the Gators. So I, I did some research on Kentucky the same way that I do research on all – Florida opponents, and that is looking at stats and numbers and box scores to get an idea of what I'm going to see on the film, then watching the film and sort of going into that film study with a preconceived idea of what I'm going to see. I saw a couple of stats that really popped out to me. The one that absolutely cannot be ignored is this team is a turnover machine in Kentucky. And I know as soon as I say that Florida is inevitably going to lose the turnover battle by five, but from the first four games against not really good opponents, Kentucky has turned it over 11 times. Only FSU can say that. And FSU is as Casey elegantly put it on the last pod. Oh, and four, oh, and four. Kentucky is under. <laughs> And yeah, it's hilarious. I know I I did it first in the swamp uh, after Louisville beat them and Casey just ripped it off and stole it on the pot. Um, Larger point, FSU is 0-4. Kentucky is the inverse. They're 4-0. Now, those wins are against Louisiana Monroe, Missouri, Chattanooga, and South Carolina, but they've won despite those turnovers. I don't know that that's going to be the case against the Gators because – the talent disparity, as I've, as I've said, is pretty noticeable. And what's worse, the turnovers are bad ones, too. I mean, some turnovers you can kind of make peace with, not that any of them are good, but you can at least understand and acknowledge as the guy making a hustle play or maybe the guy you know, gets hurt on a play and, and the pain kind of causes the fumble in a way like where, you know, you, you just, you're gripped with pain and you can't really focus on holding the ball so tightly. So you can kind of understand that one. Josh Ali, their running back fumbles twice in the span of five minutes of game action in the second half against South Carolina. And both times he's, he just gets the ball punched out when he's 
he's running with the ball in, in fairly open space. I mean, once was in the backfield, another one was on a jet sweep coming over the middle. He had a nine yard gain on that one and just got the ball punched out. So like those are the kinds of turnovers that, that would drive the coach crazy. And, and if they happened to Florida, you better believe that Gator fans would be screaming for Mullen to sit the guy down on the bench. These are the kinds of, of turnovers that Kentucky has been giving away all year. And their quarterback, Will Levis, has thrown just as many interceptions this year for all the criticism headed Emory Jones's way. He's thrown just as many picks this year, five, as Emory Jones has on 101 attempts, whereas Jones has thrown an almost identical 104 attempts. So yeah, just just a turnover machine. The th- through four games, the worst team in the country in terms of the turnover battle, alongside FSU. Yeah, well, real quick, Neil, you're right, and the turnover battle has been something that I've been very frustrated with this year, on both the offensive side and the defensive side. Not only have we seen an Emory Jones throw. I think he's thrown four picks on this season, or is it five? Five. Two against FAU, two against USF, one against Alabama. He's, he's thrown five interceptions, actually, in the season. He should, have, so, he should have seven because FAU yep. and USF have both dropped one. But, okay, he does have five. Yeah, so he's five interceptions, four touchdowns. And then on defense, we've, I think we've only forced two turnovers. Nope, three. We recovered two fumbles against FAU and picked off a pass against USF. I know Kyer had that pick. You're right. Again, Neil, that's why I'm so thankful for you. You, you, uh, you pulled these memories out of thin air. It's pretty epic. So I've been frustrated with that. There's no reason why a Todd Grantham coach defense, and I know, Neil, your feelings on Todd Grantham, but the whole point of the defensive scheme is to force quarterbacks into bad decisions and create turnovers. Don't tell me that this team isn't doing turnover drills in practice. Don't tell me that they're not throwing the ball up in the air and allowing the corners to get practice and at catching errant throws. There's no reason why this team shouldn't at least be even in the turnover battle. And going forward, of course Kentucky's going to do all they can to not turn over the ball. But there's no reason why Florida can't force at least two turnovers against Kentucky. Not only from a statistical standpoint, Florida should really force three turnovers against Kentucky. But all statistics aside, if Florida just forces two, Florida, just give me two, just, just give me two interceptions or one interception and one forced fumble. Do it. You know, do, do, you, do you understand my frustration? <laughs> I understand the frustration of looking at a team that can only force three turnovers in four games. I mean, one of them is because uh, there's a ball that's thrown 20 feet over the receiver's head and Kyer Elam just happens to be able to make a sliding pick. And the other two are because FAU just plain drops the football. So, I, I mean, if Florida doesn't, force a turnover, at least one against Kentucky, the game's going to get very frightening because Kentucky has survived its first four games, granted against bad opponents, but they have won their first four games despite being minus nine 
in the turnover battle. If they if they play that stat to a draw, Florida's in big big trouble because if they let a, a team that as you know talked about this that loves to get up for the Gators, they let that team hang around. It's going to come down to whether or not Emory Jones in his first real road game, yes, his first real road game, I'm not counting South Florida, his first real road game, can he step up and make big plays with the crowd screaming? We'll see. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. I'll tell you this, though. I would like Florida's chances to win the game a hell of a lot more if Will Levis throws a couple of picks and gives Florida, say, one short field at the Kentucky 40 and another one at the Kentucky 2 than I would in a tight game with Emory Jones having to gut it out for himself. He might do it, but this is the kind of game where whatever chance you may get to chop off the head to end the game before it really gets to be a game, you got to do it. Because the longer this game goes with the scoreboard being close, the more and more nervous I get. And really, Kentucky has done nothing to disprove the theory that Florida should force turnovers in this game and give themselves some easy points. So, Neil, just switching over to the offensive side of the ball, obviously, you know, like we were talking about, Florida needs to force turnovers on defense. But look at the offensive side of the ball. Florida needs to start off stronger. Now, I know against Tennessee, we marched down the field and made it 7 nothing. But looking at that Alabama game, it was 21-3 going into the second quarter. So Florida could only score three points in that game. And then you look at, you look at what the Gators did against Tennessee. They essentially sputtered and had to punt several times. And uh, we even had a drive where we were going down the field and we were about to be in the red zone. If not, we were already in the red zone. And Copeland fumbled the ball. Now, there's arguments that they probably should have blown it dead, but I don't care. Ball security. As long as you're stood up, and as long as you're not on the ground, that ball better remain in your possession. There's no excuse for that. No, and, it, and it's, it's especially disappointing because Copeland is the veteran guy, the guy that gets the number one jersey. He did break out against South Florida, but, I mean, in the other three games, 57 yards worth of receptions. That's it. And, and granted, Emory Jones did have him over the middle and missed him, but you, you can't blame Emory or AR for the rest of those, what, 180 minutes of game action that only logs him 57 receiving guards. So you just expect better of him. And, and look, Florida's offensive line has done its job in the run blocking game. Florida's running backs have done their job in controlling the ball and making sure that they don't put it on the ground. There's always a first. Like, just because you've done it well against Tennessee and Alabama, which is, by the way, good. No fumbles against either of your first two SEC opponents. That's very good. In fact, no fumbles lost all year until Copeland did it. But just because you haven't done it yet doesn't mean that it can't eventually happen. And you better believe Kentucky, who's you know inferior to Florida from a pure talent perspective, is going to be looking to rip that ball out. You know, first guy wraps up, second guy comes to punch it out. 
you better believe guys on that Kentucky defense, like like a Carrington Valentine who came off a corner blitz and got a sack against South Carolina last week, uh, a guy like DeAndre Square who you know who've been there for a few years are going to be looking for blood. They're going to be looking to come off the edge. Going to be looking to blow plays up by going through the middle of the line, even try to get him from his blind side and just slap the ball out of his hands because that's a free lifeline. To back into the game if they're losing or maybe even a free lead late in, or at any point in the game. So got to be able to protect the ball against the team that hasn't been able to protect the ball, but could essentially undo any damage that is done by them not protecting the ball by knocking it out of our hands. So turnovers are always a big part of the game. Obviously Dustin uses that as his, as his key to the game in pretty much every verdict segment, but especially in this game on the road against a team that cares about Florida twice as much as any other opponent. So um, yeah. And, and the slow starts themselves, Florida can't keep doing that and expect to survive. It's already cost them one game. Luckily it was to a West opponent and the number one team in the country in Alabama. But if, if it happens again, like say against Georgia, maybe, even against LSU or any other East opponent, it happens again. Florida's championship aspirations are done. And, you know, you would think that that would be something that would be fixed after the Alabama game, but against Tennessee, there was Florida losing midway through the second quarter against a very average Tennessee team. Now, to their credit, they did pick it up. They did roll away from Tennessee late in the game, but those slow starts against a team that, maybe doesn't take their foot off the gas pedal and is more talented than Tennessee and better equipped to do something with that lead, it's going to, it's going to kill Florida. So I'd really like to see more than just the first pre-scripted drive end in points. The offense has to go and the defense has to be better prepared for what the other offense is going to do. Yeah, Neil. And and something I want to discuss with you real quick is Florida, obviously, you know, we've been speaking about this ad nauseum since the first game of the season. Florida looks like one of the best run teams in the country. I mean, we're third ranked in the nation in terms of yards per game. And and I believe we're we're number one in the nation in yard in yards per attempt. Florida can run the ball, but when you look at Kentucky, Kentucky's allowing 87.5 yards per game on the ground. So something has to give. Neil, real quick, I just have to ask you, what are your thoughts on this this mighty battle between Florida's offensive line and, and run game and the Kentucky defensive line in front, in front seven? And do you think Florida's going to continue to be able to run the ball like they have in the previous four games? Or does Florida have to be able to throw the ball in order to be successful in this game? Well, Florida's not going to be able to win many games at all if they have to hide Emory Jones for four quarters. He's going to have to do something. And we saw against Tennessee, he did. He threw for 200-plus yards. Um, The running game is still very clearly this team's preferred method of moving the ball down the field. So I I would say – you know, maybe watch out for a guy like DeAndre Square. That's going to be my X factor on Kentucky. 
Um, getting ahead of myself a little bit with the verdict coming up, but yeah, I mean, watch out for him. He's, he's a veteran. He's been there before, you know, he was on the team, uh, that, that gave Florida real trouble in 2019. He was on the team, even as a freshman in 2018, when they beat Florida. So he's well aware of what a win would mean. Cause he's experienced it. He's also well aware of heartbreak having lost that game in 2019. So he's going to be one of those guys that I was talking about that is is very talented for sure, but gets up and just plays with that extra chip on his shoulder, which means, you know, against a, say, a South Carolina or a Missouri, he's getting down in his stance. The ball snap, he jumps off the line. He tries his best to get into the backfield and disrupt the play. Against Florida, he's going to be playing with that extra – that 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 extra 10%, like 110% versus 100%, he's going to be firing off the snap with that extra quickness. He's going to be placing those hands against, say, Ethan White or Kingsley with that just that extra bit of strength, that extra bit of power, that, that motivated last additional piece of oomph behind him. So for lack of a better way to put that, um, like, Florida's offensive line has got to be ready for that. They've got to be ready for guys that are going to be fighting for their lives to get into the backfield, to disrupt plays and blow them up before they get started. But on the other hand, Florida's offensive line went up against Big Bad Bama, who is, I mean, that that's a team that's comprised of guys that take every game that seriously. And they were able to run the ball quite well against them. So I tend to think that Florida's going to have some problems because Tennessee even blew up five plays for negative yards against them. But I don't think Florida's going to have some of those types of plays where, I mean, they'll, they'll lose seven or eight yards on a play where maybe they try to get creative with a, a stretch play or something to the outside, and that'll kind of kill the drive because it puts them in a very unfavorable down and distance. But I think for the most part, Florida's running game is going to be fine. This offensive line has been playing with a purpose all year. I mean, the, the starters, uh, Richard Garage, Ethan White, got Kingsley Iguacun, you got Stuart Reese, and you got the guy that's been crucified by Gator Nation for the past two years, Gene DeLance, all stepping up and doing their jobs in all facets of the game. And the backups that see some playing time, like Josh Brown and Michael Tarquin, they don't start, but when they see the field, they do well. They do their job. So Florida's got an offensive line that's a legitimate strength now. So, yes, they have to be wary of Kentucky playing this game with that extra 10% of intensity, but again, they faced Alabama. So I think they'll be ready. I think Florida will move the ball just fine. Yeah, Neil. So let's go ahead and move on to the verdict. So just to recap what we're going to do, we're going to go through our key to the game, our player to watch out for, and then Neil and I are going to give our score predictions. So Neil, first off, what is your key to the game? Well, it's pretty obvious at this point, no? Turnovers, 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 turnovers. Kentucky is minus nine in that category. Emory Jones, on the other hand, has had two games of good game tape against Alabama and Tennessee and two games of not good game tape against FAU and USF. It is definitely amusing that his two not good games of tape come against bad opponents and his two good games of tape come against sec opponents i won't call tennessee good but they're an sec team so you know against better opponents um what's what's going to happen now i mean something's got to give is florida going to force 
some turnovers when they haven't really done so all year. I mean, zero in their last two games against Alabama and Tennessee, or are they going to just let Kentucky stay around and not blow up drives before they end naturally either with, you know, a punt or a field goal or a touchdown. I don't know. I'm interested to see. It's going to be a tough test on the road because that crowd, like the players, always gets up for this game. So we'll see if maybe that's going to cause a miscommunication. Maybe, you know, Emery is trying to yell out a snap count or something. And meanwhile, Kingsley just snaps it while he's looking at like Michael Tarquin or Gene Lance. And maybe Kentucky gets the ball that way. Maybe Jones will miss a read because he's thinking too much about the protection off the left side of the line because, again, he's not sure if Gene DeLance heard him, but – or sorry, if he's, not, if he's not sure that Richard Garage heard him, but he's also aware that he has to take the snap because the play clock's running down, doesn't want to burn a timeout. Like, like so many things like that can, can just creep up on you and all of a sudden overwhelm you and can cause a turnover. So I'm anxious to see how that plays out, but that's got to be the key to the game. Yeah, Neil. Um, as far as my key to the game, I'm going to have to say the, the Florida pass game. Of course, we saw Emory Jones take some strides. He, as we said prior and discussed even in the, in the, um, the post-game pod from Tennessee, he was, 20, he was 21 for 27, two touchdowns, no interceptions. I really think that this, ten, this, this Kentucky defense – is going to load the box and force the Gators to throw the ball. And as well as Florida was able to run the ball, or as well as Florida was able to pass the ball and run the ball against Tennessee, I find it hard to think that Stoops is really going to respect Florida's ability to throw the ball. So we need to make them pay. We need to force the ball downfield, okay? I'm tired of these side-to-side out routes and slants. I, we need to see the ball go downfield. I saw some, some, great, some great throws from Embry to Xavier Henderson. We've already seen what Jacob Copeland can do. I mean, we, we've, we saw the one where Embry threw the beautiful pass to Justin Shorter. Um, actually had two beautiful passes to Justin Shorter. Could have been a third if uh, Emory would have gotten the ball out just a little bit quicker on that comeback route um, by the end zone in the, in the, I believe that was the first quarter. I digress though. I, my key to the game is can Florida throw the ball downfield? Can we have explosives in the pass game? Because I think that one key would be the difference from this being a snot knocker uh, crazy night where Florida escapes by two points or three points or Florida cruises. I think Florida has to be able to throw the ball. And just to add on to that, my player to watch out for, and what's funny is for two weeks in a row on the article that I do for the, uh, in all kinds of weather.com, the, the pregame article, I've had Anthony Richardson as my player to watch for. And he, not only did he not play, but he was literally held out from those games. So I kind of feel stupid. <laughs> you know what they say, fool me once, <laughs> but fool me twice. I'm not going to be fooled a third time. So 
I'm going to go the safe route. I'm going to make Embry Jones my player to watch out for. We need him to have an incredible game throwing the ball and running the ball. And I think he will. I think he'll, I think he'll do pretty good. So, Neil, what's your player to watch out for? I mean, there's a million different ways you could go here. You could pick any of the three running backs that get a lot of touches. Naquan Wright, Malik Davis, Damian Pierce. You could point to any of the offensive linemen. Garage, White, Kingsley, Stuart Reese, uh, Gene DeLance. You could even point to guys like Kamori Gamble, who finally broke through against Tennessee, catching that double pass from Trent Whittemore. And you can point to guys in the defense like Trey Dean, who was everywhere against Tennessee, point to a guy like Zach Carter, think he's going to step up and have a big game with a couple of sacks. It's got to be Emery. It has to be. The whole game, not to put any pressure on him, more than is already on him, but the whole game relies on him. And and both with his arm and his legs. If if he doesn't function, the team isn't going to win. So Emery Jones has to captain this ship you know, to a to an adequate degree. He doesn't have to be Superman. He doesn't have to be Tim Tebow. I know he's getting some Tebow comparisons after throwing for 200-plus and rushing for 100-plus uh, against Tennessee, but he doesn't have to continue to match anything Tim Tebow's ever done. Just be yourself. Take what the defense gives you. Hit the checkdown routes when they're there. Hold on to the ball. Don't get jittery and start one-hopping or throwing the ball 40 feet over guys' heads. Just nice and easy. Hit your slants. Hit your go routes when they're wide open. When you see a nice seam on a third and three, take off, get the first down, slide, go down. Don't try to juke out four guys. And, you know, because that's when the ball starts to pop out. So just be yourself, just be calm, be patient, be cool and collected. And I think Florida's going to be fine, not only in this game, but throughout the season if he just does that. But in terms of player to watch, I mean, it's Emery that's going to be in charge of controlling all that. So, yes, guys like Copeland, guys like Naquan Wright or Damian Pierce are going to get to touch the ball, but it's going to touch Emery Jones's hands on every single snap. So it feels like by default he's got to be the player to watch. So, yeah, Neil, we both agree on Emery Jones being the player to watch out for. Hopefully we agree on the score. At least I, I we're both picking Florida to win, right? You're picking Florida to win. We'll find out in a minute. Okay. Okay. Well, while we await suspensefully for what Neil is going to say as far as his score projection, I'm gonna go and get mine. So I'm I'm picking the Gators 34 to 21. I think it's gonna be pretty darn close and. Florida and Kentucky may even exchange leads, but I think that Nick Savage and that Florida offensive line is going to carry the Gators in the fourth quarter. And I think that uh, I think we do see AR-15 come in and, and uh, score a touchdown, and I think the rest is going to be history. Okay. Um, yeah. In the in the preseason pod, I said I think that this game scares the living hell out of Florida. I said that I think Florida is going to go down three scores, and they're going to have to engineer their biggest comeback yet, and they eventually will. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be as drastic this time, but I do think that this game is going to follow the line of highly problematic games in Lexington. 
I think Kentucky will score first. I think Kentucky will get a double-digit lead again. I don't know about three scores, but I think it'll be something like 10-0 or 14-3, maybe maybe even like 21-7. Something where Florida gets kicked in the head and says, like, all right, you guys, wake up. It's now or never. The game is about to slip away. You better do something about it before it's too late. I think they will then start to calm down, do what they're supposed to do, win the game from that point on. And I think they will eventually pull away in the third and fourth quarters. But I would not be surprised if Florida finds themselves down by at least 10, maybe 13 or 14 points late in the first half. So I'll say Florida will go down my official projection. I'll say Florida goes down 14-3 early. They'll come back. They'll chip away at the lead with the ground game. The defense will start making some big plays, maybe some sacks from Carter. Maybe an overthrowed ball gets picked off because Kentucky has a penchant for doing that this year. Um, and I say Florida will eventually win 31-24. to 24. It's not a bad score at all. I mean, we're pretty close. I think uh, – Yeah, I think just swap out the fours and the ones and we're exactly – yeah, well, it's going to be a good game. Um, I'm certainly excited to, to watch it on TV and, and uh, celebrate what the Gators are going to do in Lexington. Hopefully they come out with the victory. And, and again, um, I'm not trying to be that guy, but it's so critical we come out of Lexington injury-free or as close to it as possible. Like I said at the beginning of the pod, I'm a praying man, and you better believe I'm going to be doing so on saturday night all right everybody thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this edition of the in all kinds of weather forecast if you've enjoyed this show wherever you get it whether it's itunes spotify be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a nice review it is certainly our pleasure to be able to share and, and, and talk ball with each and every one of you and Again, if you aren't already, be sure to follow our podcast Twitter at IAKOWForecast. In all kinds of weather, we all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. Let's do it together, Neil. Go Go Gators. Gators.